0: Bill Pod. You're out of control, Manning. I want your gun and your merit badges on my desk.
1: I'm out of control. You're out of control. See, the problem
2: with rules is the special guest raw commissioner can change them at any time. Get to the compa. All right, man scout, I might not have the evidence, but I know you're the one who murdered and dismembered Tent.
0: Dynamite is my name. Threatening Jake Manning with the gun is my
1: game. Time to make a hot tag in the cold morgue.
2: What was the cause of death? Russian leg sweep. I
0: knew it was that motherfucking Putin. So what are your thoughts on demolition?
1: (laughs) Was that a line? (laughs) Was that a fucking line? What's your thoughts on demolition?
0: All right. Hello and welcome to 10 Bell Pod. I am Gus from Selling In. I, I gotta plug that every chance I get. Uh, I'm joined as always by Michael Loving.
2: Hey, this is me, and I've watched the first episode of Selling In, but I've been a bad friend and I haven't caught up and watched the rest. So there you go, Nick. Fuck you. Yeah.
0: And we are also joined by who's apologizing for the click and a camp machine to all the tents. Scout! It's Jake Manning, everybody.
1: I don't know if like I said it, but I'm featured in an episode of Selling In. Uh, I also have not seen all of them yet, so that means I'm a bad cast member, not just a bad <laughs> friend.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, that's worse. That's way worse. Yesterday we filmed episode ten, and Manager of the Year Tommy Thomas is in it.
1: <laughs> oh, okay. Good. Wow. I'm actually going to see Tommy here in a little bit. Hopefully he packages enough orders because as we're recording this, I am knee deep. I would say balls deep, but I don't want to be gross. Uh, <laughs> In pulling orders for the 4th of July sale and the massive Matt Hardy virtual gimmick table where we broke all records and Holy did shit. some of the stupidest business we have ever done i'm just you know what i'm gonna start doing i'm just gonna hold up a uh, hardy boys funko just up on the camera <laughs> the entire time i do these shows going forward because that's the only thing people are interested in buying
0: man those things are fun to watch
1: this one was fun too because a little inside baseball here just let you guys know if you thought this past thursday was done with, with matt hardy i would say about 20 minutes before the show something came up and messed everything up. That beginning was so herky-jerky, messed up, wrong. We had to change a lot of stuff just last second. Items that we needed on the table weren't on the table. Like Basically, about three minutes in, much like a Clint Norris CD taping, I go, whoop, this whole thing's <laughs> fucked. Um... <laughs> Now I have to be up here for X amount of hours, so fuck it. I went through that entire show with the energy of, I don't give a shit anymore. This whole show is fucked up. And apparently it was one of our best shows because-
2: There's freedom in in that, right? There's tons of freedom.
1: I wouldn't say freedom because I wanted to just end and start over again, but unfortunately I couldn't do that. That train was already rolling off the rails.
0: All right, so I'm super pumped about who we're talking about today, because he's like one of my favorite under the radar guys in the Attitude era, or maybe like just all time. Today we're talking about the five foot nine, four hundred pounds super heavyweight Crash Holly,
2: as Jim Ross would call him, the Houdini of hardcore, not to be confused with the Jenna Jameson magician porno
0: sleight of hand job.
1: What? What? Jim well, hold Ross that? that? Oh, Jim Ross that?
0: <laughs> no comment. So, but- <laughs> michael john lockwood was born august 25th 1971 in anaheim california
2: there was nothing interesting that happened on that day but i'm gonna throw up a comedic challenge to nick i'm gonna read what happened on this day the same day as lockwood being born and you have to make a joke or say something funny after i read this okay
0: oh shit i'm not good at improv
2: all right The leader of the Social Democratic and Labour Party, Jerry Fitt, presents a number of allegations of brutality by the security forces in Northern Ireland to representatives on the United Nations. Go, something funny.
0: (laughs) (laughs) What the fuck am I supposed to say (laughs) funny (laughs)
2: about that? Isn't that the challenge? Never mind, going on. on. Is that it? Is that the only one? Oh, yeah, I told you, there was nothing. That was it. it was, well, uh, Di- Dynamo-
1: oh, great that. job, Micah. Fantastic. That really contributed <laughs> to the episode. I appreciate you taking the time to doing this. So, I mean, it's not hey, like I I set have, you like... guys
2: up for success. And what do you give me? What do you give me? Nothing.
0: <laughs> All right. So, Michael wasn't too big of a fan of wrestling, like, when he was a little kid. It wasn't until he hit eighth grade and he tuned into to primetime wrestling where Bobby Heenan sucked him in. I knew there was a reason I love this guy. Right. Once hooked, Mike dove super hard into old wrestling, new wrestling, becoming a tape trading supermark. He was a big fan of uh, Macho Man, but the guy that really inspired him to get into wrestling was good old Battle Cat Brady Boone, who is one of the Robbinsdale, Minnesota dudes. Brady was a very generous five foot ten and a very generous 200 pounds. And as Crash wasn't like the biggest guy in the world, this kind of gave him hope that he could also break into the business.
1: Yes, one day I could take a clothesline from Nikita Koloff and turn inside <laughs> out and inspire everyone else in the world to take a clothesline just like that.
2: Oh, the old the old flip cell type thing?
1: Yeah, when you take a clothesline and you flip inside out. Right, I, I, right. I, I, huh. From what I understand, Brady Boone was one of the first guys to do that.
0: Damn, that's, that's kind of a cool little legacy. The indies wouldn't exist, am I right?
1: As soon as Mike turned
0: 18, he enrolled into wrestling school at old NWA wrestler uh, Woody Farmer School in Hayward, California. Maybe, Jake, maybe you'll know who this is because he said this dude's name like 15 times and I couldn't make it out. He
1: learned from, I think, Boris Kivanoff? Does that ring a bell? I think I've seen the name before, like, out and around... See, West Coast guys, if they weren't in Beyond the Mat, like I don't know who you are as a West Coast guy, <laughs> early Indies. Where like Northeast Indies and in, like the mid '90s and late '90s. I mean, if you want to talk about Blue Thunder, if you want to talk about King Kalua, Don Montoya, Reckless Youth, yeah, um, all those guys. I mean, we could, we could have a nice little chat, you know, Devin Storm, Twiggy Robinson. Like I, I can tell you all that, but when it comes to West Coast guys, it's kind of like a blank spot. Unless you were in King of the Indies or Beyond the Mat.
0: He would learn from Boris and obviously also get a handful of lessons from Woody as well as Shane Cody. And even Mae Young would drop by sometimes to like do some training with the students. Mike would debut in 1989 as Johnny Pearson in Bay Area Wrestling and his first match was against his trainer Boris <laughs> well, Man.
1: and and being as big as he was in 1989 in the Indies like that had to be tough he probably held every junior heavyweight title there was in the area because nobody else was that small and nobody else was allowed to be in. There. That's kind of like Chris Candido. He was always like the junior heavyweight champion in every Northeast indie promotion because like, well, we don't have anybody else. We might as well a belt on here and you're really good. Uh, we'll kind of fake it for the rest of the guys that come in. And there you go.
2: Crash talked about the obvious in his shoots about basically over and over everyone telling him he wasn't going to do shit. And it just added and added to like, well, I am going to do shit.
0: So he'd spend the next five years working, learning, training. Jake, where do you expect a wrestler to be in five years?
1: Five years? um, Thinking they're the shit. Um, (laughs) Hopefully they've learned enough flips so they can get on TV. Don't worry about psychology because that's not important. Okay. What is this? You you can learn you you can have that skill if you want to be a long term lifer. But if you want to be a guy that comes in and makes some real money and a splash, don't worry about psychology. Just think about putting all your shit together and going out there and doing it. Also, too, very much think that the world owes you everything. That's yeah, important. Yeah. Have that quality, and you and also don't think. Be as dumb as possible. Don't <laughs> think about like what happens if I do this, or if I say this, or if I tweet this, or something. Just this happens, or this human in. <laughs> Action. One, I just think about what works out best for me as opposed to the actual long term effects on this other human being that I'm now alone with right now. Let's just be a scumbag and think the your world doesn't think and think it's going to last forever. That's usually <laughs> where you should be at about five years in. There's no bitterness in that at all. I, I don't know if any <laughs> of you could pick that up right there, but uh, that's where I expect somebody to be. By
0: 1996, Woody's school, and I assume his promotion had shut down, so Mike made his way to California-based all-pro wrestling, where he became the leprechaun, Aaron (laughs) O'Grady. As Jake alluded to, he'd hop right into the junior heavyweight title scene. That Uh, told you. Boom! First losing in the finals of a tournament against Super Diablo by March of 97. O'Grady won the title and then he'd go on to lose it in May to Chris Cole. And then from there, he just kind of got steady work in All-Pro until November of 97. You guys see any of his early matches? Man, Crash was a good-ass wrestler.
2: Yeah, there's Aaron O'Grady versus Donovan Morgan versus Chris Cole. Crash was doing all types of crazy-ass balcony dives, and not just doing them, but nailing the shit out of them. He's got Mike Modest matches there. I mean, it's some awesome shit, man. He really is a lot of fun there.
1: I haven't seen any matches, but cheap plug. Crash still had some leftover Leprechaun eight by 10 photos when he did the shoot interview with Michael Bikikio at Michael's house back when high spots was based out of Michael's house. And he signed a bunch of them, uh, Whoa. Mike Lockwood, and they're still available on the website. Cause people don't even know that we have them on the site. And because of all of the autograph queries with the virtual gimmick tables, like somebody one thing that people have been doing have been like buying stuff on our website and then auctioning them off for double the price. And sometimes that kind of clues me into something like, oh, this is on the site still? Oh, shit, we got more of these? Oh, well, I'm going to jack up the price on the website and then put this on the virtual gaming table for less money. And one of those <laughs> items was basically these Leprechaun 8x10s. And it's a very young Crash Holly. And you're like, man, I can't even recognize... Him as crash, but these are clearly his because they say leprechaun on it, and they're the nice 8x10 photos that I'm sure he barely had enough money to pay for and he <laughs> still had like some of them. And he signed a whole stack of them when he came in for the shooting interview with Michael like a year or two before I ever came to, to high spots. And we actually still have some and I just auctioned them off. So it's just it's just funny to see him like, man, this is young Crash Holly and like he signed these and they're still around. So it's <laughs> it's just fascinating to me. And we probably see them on a virtual gimmick table, but they're definitely on the website. Much more expensive than they were about a week or two ago.
0: <laughs> I think it was Ron Simmons's week that you sold a mike Lockwood autograph and i was like damn it jake you're like a month early yeah
1: <laughs> it's because somebody somebody bought it for 9.99 and, and yeah, they're, yeah, they're yeah. like what because we're like what this is for 9.99 like oh no we can't do this this is too so then i i, I cha- adjusted the price on the website and i think I rolled it up for 20 bucks but they, they are still available
2: one of the weirdest things I found on YouTube involving Aaron O'Grady is if you want to see Crash do a kayfabe in-character interview on like a TV studio talk show setup, where it's just a normal kind of local newscaster asking him questions and he's like, check me record, lad. I'm the number one contender. I went for my <laughs> opponents to make a mistake then I capitalized with my speed. And it is the weirdest fucking kayfabe situation there.
0: All right, Jake, another question for you. So you're still greenish, but you've finally made it into that promotion that's given you a spot every time they run a show. What, what's your mindset? What are you doing as a wrestler here?
1: I need to be the champion. That was easy. <laughs> Just like, oh, I've been wrestling here for a while. I need more money cash or creative as jr would say and I, I i don't disagree with that statement if you've been there for a while you tend to get neglected and they always think you're there for, like it depends on what your attitude is but if you've been there for a while you're like i need to get to bigger and better places and the second you get to bigger and better places that place goes oh we're not good enough for you we gave you a start it's like no it's not that it's just the cycle of the way it works and it's whatever it's stupid. It's all fucking stupid. (laughs) If I could delete the app for pro wrestling, I would, but I've already deleted Twitter. I've already deleted (laughs) Instagram off my phone. There are days that I wish I could delete the app of professional wrestling (laughs) off my phone, but I got to keep it on there because that's how I make my money.
0: so it was in all pro in 1997 that crash would kind of get his first break in the industry after viewing a tape between o'grady and mike modest ecw's taz referred him to paul Heyman, who was like as
1: long as he doesn't expect to get paid in actual money he's in
2: nothing but cotton for you crash
1: well i'm sure t- taz's pitch was like bro <laughs> this guy is shorter than me. I will look so tall if you book him, Spike Dudley, Jamie Dundee. The fact that I'm so short will be completely unnoticeable. It just And then if you unbook 911, all of a sudden I'm going to look like an average-sized dude. Come on, <laughs> Paul, let's go.
0: Aaron O'Grady would head over to ECW, basically doing some uh, put-over jobs, taking L's to Spike Dudley, Just Incredible, and would even do a dark tag team match at November to Remember against Spike Dudley and Chris Shetty.
2: You can find the Just Incredible house show match. It's on Daily Motion. It's cool to watch because I didn't know it existed when I actually did some searching, but kind of cool to see. But everything else, I couldn't find that damn thing.
1: What are you talking about? I converted a lot of these over to digital format and put them on DVD. Like I, I figured, like there are some all of them maybe cams. on the network.
2: Yeah, I figured I, there's a lot of fan
1: cams. Oh yeah, there's tons of fan cams. Like yeah. I definitely have gone through a lot of the Aaron O'Grady on it. And I always remember the thing that crashed talked about why that never worked out is because Spike kind of saw himself as the little guy. So he's like, oh, you're going to bring another another little guy? Much in the same way that comedic wrestlers get when you see another comedy guy or another character guy. Like, oh, you bring another character guy? Like, are you, am I, are you trying to push me out? Believe it or not, like comedy character wrestlers we're all very competitive. We all don't like each other. We all feel like each one of us has stolen our spots, and we all don't want each other around. Even though if we work, if we just would work together and cycle through and work, we'd be fine. But you're always like, oh, well, that guy's there at that promotion. I can't be at that promotion, you know, or this guy's over here. I can't be in this promotion because you got book this guy. Then there's no need for me. So I'm sure it's the kind of the way for the small scrappy guy. And of course, if you're Spike and you're already kind of hanging on by a thread, I'm sure someone like a Paul Heyman is like, well, you know, if you. Not happy with the pay you got tonight I got a guy that came in for no money That I could just start using and putting on TV His name's Aaron O'Grady We can make him my Spike Dudley
2: Or it's kind of that thing when you're a comedian named Nick Alexander And there's another Nick Alexander comedian yeah. And then you freak
1: out about it and You're like, I'm just going <laughs> to change my name And then the pandemic wipes out all stand-up comedy <laughs> And then he's like, "All oh, I'm Nick Alexander now I'm the last one standing, I'm the Highlander
0: I'm just going to switch to a symbol soon Because it gives me so much anxiety Oh, that's good, I like that
1: you're the Highlander, Nick. Do any of those Nick Alexanders have podcasts or as successful as this one? Come on. And you've already got the Christopher Lambeer like little half ponytail from one of the later <laughs> Highlander series. So, I mean, just go ahead and embrace it.
2: Yeah, you're, you're movie Highlander. Don't be TV Highlander.
1: And Highlander, <laughs> when we're talking about an Aaron O'Grady, Leprechaun, full circle. Oh, that's how shit. you do improv.
0: Oh, <laughs> Lights shit. out,
1: end scene.
0: Next big break for Crash here. On January 20th, 1998, O'Grady wrestled Vic Grimes in a tryout match for the WWF, which you can find on YouTube. And I don't know how many dark matches you can say this about, but it is absolutely a must watch. It's so damn good.
2: I mean, you got chairs, you got swanton bombs by a guy that weighs 400 pounds. Vic does the spot where he puts Crash outside and he sits him in the chair like a crazy homicide Sabu type spot. If if people can't remember, Vic Grimes is the dude that New Jack threw off the scaffolding through like 40 tables and you thought you saw
0: a murder. So you oh. see- I knew I remembered his name for some reason <laughs>
1: What you didn't know this Oh my this? god Oh my <laughs> god Nicholas Why are you the host of a successful wrestling podcast <laughs> You don't know the-, the Vic Grimes Get out of here <laughs> Yeah justify yourself stumble over that justification
0: <laughs> All through Crash's Shoot interview he kept bringing up Vic Grimes Vic Grimes Vic Grimes And then I saw all these matches and I was like I know who this is Who the <laughs> fuck is this Ugh
1: well uh, what uh, whatever. But Anyway, let, let me jump back in here on this tryout, uh, this, this dark match. The fact that they did, they were allowed to do the stuff they did in a dark match. Right. And, and this is kind of like at a point where they're like, they're like, we need talent. There's talent out there. Let's see what they can do. And then somebody does something stupid. And they're like, nope, can't do that. Nope. Can't do that. Nope. Good. And then all of a sudden tryout matches slash dark matches became like very watered down. And then all of a sudden it's like, all right, well we got these guys in it and OVW, they need matches. Let's just get somebody in there. They could possibly almost fucking die in Brock hands, Uh <laughs> <laughs> three months into wrestling but the story behind this particular match is they were actually looking at vic grimes they're like yeah. they they really wanted vic who's the guy that can give him the best match and they're like well who's this guy you know mike lockwood and then all of a sudden as the match was going on people were like who's this little guy this is the guy we should be looking at and it, it turned out being the thing that eventually got him hired
2: a match to check out that got Vic and Lockwood this tryout match is an APW match where they did a false count anywhere, which has the worst lighting you have ever seen in your entire life. But it features a spot where Crash Holly gets in a car and runs Vic Grimes down and smashes the shit out of him. So that's that's a fun thing you should check out.
0: Like Jake said, Micah wasn't expecting anything out of this tryout. He was there to basically put over Vic, make him look good. However, in three weeks, they would both get signed to contracts, which must have been a pretty nice surprise. While uh, Creative was hammering out the details, Mike kept working for NWA and All Pro until WWF sent him down to Power Pro Wrestling in Memphis to train.
1: And those Memphis shows are just like... It's interesting. Like It's like proto-developmental territory... I think the thinking was like, hey, you know, we would send guys to USWA or guys would come in through USWA and then we worked them up much like men on a Mission, Ahmed, very early. Like we'd send them there and they'd work a few few months or about a year or if guys got hurt, we'd send them down to USWA. They'd kind of get a couple of matches on the belt before we brought them back to TV. And then, of course, they're like, well, what if it did, like, a whole territory thing? And then, like, yeah, sure. And then why don't we hire some of the best wrestlers in the fucking world and put them there? <laughs> like, Brian Danielson, Brian Kendrick. I think Reckless Youth was there. Ron Killings. Uh, you even had Joey Abs. Jason Art was there. And then let's put Tracy Smothers in the mix, working with these guys every night. Like, those Memphis shows don't get enough credit like the talent that was there and it's like this weird hidden gem that, that exists in the the proto days of like before ovw before fcw before nxt the idea of like hey we need an actual central place he was just when they were figuring things out and you see pictures of it they're like wrestling in armories no different than guys today in front of crowds the same size and to see that it's just it's very interesting that this was under the the guise of WWE and just it's it's fascinating to me. I think Power Pro is something that gets lost in the shuffle, um, sometimes in the discussion of developing talent. And nobody brings it up or mentions it. And it's it's a vital part. And it's very interesting. And there was a lot of really good talent there. They didn't do a whole heck of a lot with it. Nor did they know how to.
0: After that, Bruce Pritchard would send Mike down to Mexico to be part of WWF's Lucha Libre show, WWF Super Astros, which was just a show they were using to try to break into the Latin markets.
2: And the best thing was uh, he wrestled under a mask and he was called the Green Ghost, which
0: sounds like Gringos. That's my favorite thing. Jake, you know anything about this show? I'd never heard of this Astros show.
1: Bruce has talked about it multiple times on his podcast about the opportunity that they had presented to them by I think by Univision uh, they gave him an hour of programming and they they learned very quickly that them as an American television company American wrestling television company that they just didn't know how to produce a product that penetrated the Mexican audience and they had different, Cultures and they just kind of threw them in there and, like, oh, they speak Spanish. doesn't And they didn't realize that there was a big difference and cultures and mixing it together. But they drew good ratings. But Univision was expecting something different. WWE didn't know quite how to deliver what they were looking for or what they wanted. And I guess there's a whole hubbub. But I definitely know that Rob Viper, High Spots Canadian representative, could tell you all about Super Astros, why it succeeded, why it did not, some of the best matches on it. So just look for at Rob Viper on Twitter. And ask about Super Astros and he will tell you the highlights and the lowlights.
0: Crash had a little trouble down in Mexico with some of the boys. Uh, since he was a goddamn American immigrant going in there and stealing jobs, Crash felt that it created a lot of tension and he felt that in a lot of matches he was starting to get stiffed. So he called up Bruce and told him that like he's just straight up didn't feel safe there anymore. So Bruce brought Crash back, and that led to a dark match with Kurt Angle, and it went well enough that Creative finally had something for him. On August 16th, 1999, on an episode of Raw, super heavyweight Hardcore Holly was cutting a promo amidst a feud with The Big Show, and Hardcore needed a little backup, so he called for his cousin, and out came 400-pound monster Crash Holly.
2: They gave Crash the old behind the hidden door. Who is this? Who's going to come out? Surprise appearance too. So they gave him like a a solid filmmaking reveal shot here. It was kind of cool.
1: And of course the story goes that Hardcore Holly fucking hated Crash. (laughs) When he when they first got told that oh this is gonna be your cousin and basically just kind of it's one of those things where they're walking in the hall and they walk close together and kind of like what are we gonna do with Mike Lockwood what are we gonna do what are we gonna do and then you see him walk by Hardcore Holly and like oh yeah they look like relatives <laughs> let's do that and of course fucking Hardcore Holly hated every second because anything new or anything mildly different the fucking Hardcore Holly fucking hates with the, the brightness of his son. But I'll tell you what, Hardcore Holly, loyal employee to that company. And yeah. I don't know if there's ever gonna be a time where I get to tell this story about hardcore Holly. <laughs> but this may be this may be the time. I've yeah, never told to. this I've never told this on a podcast before. Like just just to give you an idea like anytime I've dealt with hardcore Holly, he's been fairly nice. And I think he lives in Iowa right now. That makes like, sense. Like not far from where I grew up. Because he's like, hey, it's cheap. Fuck it. <laughs> I like it. And he's also a big deer hunter, so like that area, like there's a lot of really good deer hunting. Like I almost I almost wanted to like at a wrestling revolver show, I almost wanted to be like, hey man, if you want some good deer hunting, there's a spot on my on my family farm. I could hook you up with my father and give you a phone number and you can work it out. So having hardcore Holly walking around my parents' farm with a gun. Like that's as nice as it gets. But I'll never forget my first extra talent spot. believe it was in 2006 in Charleston, South Carolina. And it was right before they were about ready to do a Tributes to the Troops thing. It was in the midst of the John Cena Umaga angle, and I was a part of that big pull apart with Umaga. And... Like I said, doing extra talent pre was completely different than doing extra talent with post because pre like what? you could, you would see Vince. Vince would walk in and just be one of the boys. Like I, you know, cause you're extra talent. You post up, you want to be seen, but not heard or not in any way. So you just kind of post up, right? When everybody walks in, so you could say hello to everybody. So you've made that interaction and just kind of stand there, not, not, not being in any way. And of course, everybody's got bags in their hands. So you don't have to shake everybody's hand. but you can at least say hello. And you're just sitting there, so if they're, like, you know, thinking, like, hey, we need somebody to get bounced around by whatever, and then you walk in, like, oh, there's the guy that's going to get bounced around in the ring later. And, you know, Vince walked in, and, you know, he was like, good morning, gentlemen, and he was walking in with Triple H and, and Stephanie, no security in tow, just walking in like one of the boys. Of course, that changed, like, a few months later, but I'll never forget. The best part of that is you could sit by the ring and watch Vince lay out the show. And he was a master at just like, all right, you need to be here when this is said. And just blocking and setting things out for a promo in a ring. He's he's a genius at it. And he he, he did, this, did the whole thing and I got to see it and it was amazing. I remember him walking out of the arena area and he's just walking casually. And all of a sudden, Hardcore Holly just comes rolling up and gets right in Vince's face. <laughs> and Vince, Vince looks incredible. He's got this wonderful pink tie, like Bret Hart, neon pink tie on with a gray suit. It looks real sharp but Hardcore Holly just gets right in Vince's face and says you look like a F-word slur <laughs> Oh no. Oh
2: boy, wow. In that,
1: in that tie. Wow. And I will never forget this as long as I live. Vince McMahon didn't blink. <laughs> Why would he? All he did was just merely lean back slightly, button his jacket up, and goes, you know where I got this tie? Alabama. Obama, and then walked <laughs> <off>. <laughs> that is an interaction between human beings that happened on planet earth that's i still amazing. i don't know i don't know what either one of them were thinking <laughs> i amazing. don't know For that's amazing. the dumbest story i've ever i have in professional wrestling that happened i was like what's the context of all of this this <laughs> makes no sense this place is crazy hardcore is like i think
0: it's shoot from alabama and he's kind of like a proud alabamian yeah and vince Uh, just came back like you know (laughs) vince nailed
2: it vince nailed the fuck out of it
0: come at the king you best stop miss (laughs) so for uh crash's debut he cuts a promo live on tv and he said at this point in his career he had only done two so that had to have been terrifying the cousins immediately set up that they have a tempestuous relationship. They immediately start fighting and scuffling. But despite this, they become the tag team, the Holly Cousins, heavily borrowing from Chris Candido and Lance Storm, who was already doing this kind of fighting tag team angle in ECW.
2: It's the Fighting Holly Cousins.
0: Things kind of move at the speed of light for Crash here. Right after he makes his Raw debut, that Sunday, Crash would make his pay-per-view debut at SummerSlam, where the Holly Cousins wrestled in a six-team tag-team turmoil match to determine the number one contenders for the tag-team titles. Edge and Christian started off against the Hardys, which is always good. The Hardys lose, leaving Edge and Christian to put out Minion and our past podcast guest Viscera. Draws and Albert are the next to fall. Then comes out APA, who take out Edge and Christian, leaving the Holly cousins, who seem to have come out way too early. Like, I think they missed their cue by a bit.
2: Yeah, it was weird.
0: The Hollies take the upper hand, but then they start fighting each other. Farouk, Farouk then fucks up Hardcore Holly and then types GG into the chat box because APA gets the win. The Hollies would stay in the tag team title scene, breaking off to have singles matches, usually against each other, and they pushed forward to October when Crash would go to England to be part of 99's Rebellion in a triangle match against Edge and Christian and the Acolytes. The Hollies don't last too long, Crash gets a backdrop from the top rope and eats a massive clothesline from Bradshaw for the L. The next big match for Crash would be a couple weeks later at October 17th's No Mercy, when the Hollies face the New Age Outlaws after previously costing them the tag team title belts to the Rock and Sock Connection.
2: This match shows how brilliant Crash Holly was as a character, because he suckers Billy Gunn into hitting his Famouser onto a chair, which results in the DQ for the Holly cousins to win. But I just <laughs> thought Crash was, was fantastic and like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to get a concussion, but guess what? We're going to win.
0: The next night on Raw, the Hollies would write that momentum into the main event when they took on tag team champions Rock and Sock. So, Rocky and Mick weren't on good terms during this match after Rock had said some hateful things about mankind. Oh. This caused Foley to set outside on the ring steps, kind of moping, basically making this a handicap match
2: the cool little thing before this earlier in the show is you get to see the holly cousins pitching to vince mcmahon in a stupid little segment to get the tag title shot and it's just vince finally like all right all right you got it
0: during the match the rock manages to pull out a rock bottom but with crash distracting the ref the game runs in and clocks the rock with the world title hardcore rolls over onto the rock for the three and crash and hardcore holly become the tag
1: team champions.
2: And then as is customary at the time, Stone Cold comes out and beats the shit out of Triple H.
1: What a attitude era series of fucking events. Yeah. You have two fighting tag teams fighting over the tag team titles. You have the world champion come out and hit him with a world belt, and then you have Stone Cold coming out. <laughs> it's amazing. You have two run-ins, two teams that have similar gimmicks where they don't like each yep. other. A title change happens, and we also set up for a world title angle. Um, <laughs> just, I mean, all you need is Patterson and Briscoe and drag, and this is for sure <laughs> one of the highest-rated segments in the entire Attitude Era.
0: So the Hollies would fend off all challengers at house shows, basically taking on the entire tag team division, the New Age Outlaws, APA, the Hardys, Too Cool, and they'd eventually go on to lose the titles at November 4th Smackdown to Mankind and his newer, nicer partner, Al Snow.
1: Oh, wow. What a low point in the Hollies' <laughs> career. And you thought uh, Mankind was at a low point when he was teaming with Al Snow. Uh. Oh. Uh, I had I had to do that for my buddy Mick because uh, his joke is always a dump on <laughs> no. Al Snow. So since Mick isn't on Twitter either, I figured I might as well jump in and dig at Al Snow on my podcast.
2: It's always needed. Three things that I want to bring up about this match because they were they just need to be brought up on this stupid podcast. At the beginning of this match, Jerry Lawler and Michael Cole talk about the controversy about Al Snow and his head toy. People are thinking it promotes the decapitation of women. Yeah.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> I thought that was especially uh, Twitter existed back then. That was fun. One of the best signs I've ever seen that said Austin wastes beer. And <laughs> then Michael Cole decides to make the random, very uncomfortable point that the Holly cousins, they're not kissing cousins though. <laughs> Unprompted, unneeded at all. It is fucking weird. And it makes you question Michael Cole's history.
0: So more cool things here for Crash Holly. He'd be part of his first Survivor Series style match when he and Hardcore Holly teamed up with Too Cool to take on Edge, Christian, and the Hardys. Something that really caught me off guard, Jeff Hardy does a 450 in this match. I do not remember people doing that.
1: (laughs) Bro, both the Hardys could do a 450.
0: Really? I've never seen Matt do one.
1: Oh you gotta you gotta look at some Omega tapes. Like yeah, I was just talking ship. with Matt on the virtual gimmick table. Like I was telling him, like you were a white too cold Scorpio when you were a kid. <laughs> like he's he's very underappreciated as a high flyer, and just it, it's insane if you go back and look at some of those early Hardy matches, especially oh, Omega yeah. stuff. It's breathtaking. He, Matt said he goes, my finish was a springboard moonsault. Like, yeah. Damn, <laughs> that's uh, ab- absurd to think.
2: One thing Crash was good at, which he talked about a lot, was selling. He takes a Tamikaze, which I'm going to call it after Tommy Rogers. It was Christian's move where he'd kind of drill their head in with their back. But Crash takes it like a champ. The the other thing I liked about this match is the Hollies don't get any eliminations till the very end because they're sneaky bastards.
0: Crash makes it pretty deep into this match before he does get dropped by Christian, but right after, Hardcore takes out Christian, giving the Hollies a Survivor Series win. Crash would then spend the rest of the century tagging up with Hardcore without too much happening. In early 2000, Crash got a shot for the Intercontinental title against Chris Jericho January 27th on SmackDown. And it was before this match that Jericho caught Crash Elroy Jetson, which started a whole thing. Boom. This was like a really good TV match. They go balls out, wall to the wall. Uh, We get some uh, interference with China, who was out there with Jericho as part of that angle. And Chris eventually puts Crash away with the walls of Jericho. Then we get into the angle that Crash Holly will forever be remembered for on... February 24th on SmackDown, he defeated Test for his first of 22 Hardcore championships. Ending up the match, Hardcore swings a chair, possibly at Crash, but either way, Crash ducks and Tess takes a unprotected chair shot right to the tater, Crash pins him, and then the Hollies celebrate as a family.
2: When Tess gets blasted in the head, he crawls underneath Hardcore Hollies' legs to get the pin. It was a great little touch by Crash, I thought.
0: After winning the hardcore championship, Crash would say that he would defend it 24 hours a day, seven days a week, which would later become the 24-7 rule. What are some of your favorite hardcore title changes here with the 24-7 rule?
2: We got to talk about when they wrestled at the arcade fun time, wrestling down the slide in the ball pit. I mean, the Mean Street Posse dressed up in every fucking imaginable gimmick at the airport. They were clowns. I think one of my favorite moments is Gerald Briscoe celebrating in silence as he pinned Crash while he was sleeping. Yeah, that's one of cars. my favorite I ones. Know. Yeah. Not many people remember this, but Crash Holly was the reason that Mae Young went into labor to give <laughs> birth to hand. May Young did a splash on Crash Holly, which which caused her tummy to rumble, which then pushed her to give birth to hand. Not many people give credit to that. Um, you gotta give respect to Ivory for trying to pin crash during a massage. That was cool. The parking valet that tried to pin crash. And then one of my favorite dumb little jokes is a referee ripped off his referee shirt to try to pin crash and bring in his own referee. (laughs)
1: Let's rewind back to something you said a few title changes ago. Okay. Mae Young jumped off for a splash and that caused her tummy to rumble? (laughs) (laughs) And that caused her to give give birth. Um, Micah, yeah. uh, are you unaware of the concept of, of childbirth? <laughs> that it's not like a tummy ache where, like, oh, there's a bit of a rumble in my stomach <laughs> because I ate a little too much pasta tonight. Whoop, I got a baby. Tummy rumbled. <laughs> As if she had just a little bit too much ice cream. Oh, no, I'm actually pregnant. I <laughs> I did not know. I just... Is that what you're establishing when when, when women are are pregnant, their tummies rumble as opposed to the the, the movement of a human being inside of their body happens?
2: But it wasn't. All he did was dislodge a hand. I think we need to point out the wonderful idea of how there was always matches inside of matches. One of my favorites was when the, the Holly cousins would be having a tag team match. But then in the middle of the tag team match, Hardcore would bring a ref in and try to attack his own tag team partner (laughs) in the middle of the shit to try to win his belt as they were having a tag team match. I mean, there there was so much good creative stuff going on here.
1: Bro, it's inception of <laughs> wrestling. And basically yeah. what I'm saying to you, bro, is that Crash Holly yeah. is Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah. He's in there, he's in the mix, he's trying to incept upon yeah. you. He's got things inside of things. He's got a little one of them spinny things they put on the table to let him know <laughs> if he's in a dream, inside someone else's dream, or is he in reality, bro? You got <laughs> got things coming in here left around Taz is just basically like our Joseph Gordon Levitt he's gonna come in and fuck shit up and then eventually we get Raven involved ECW that's what I'm saying wow. to you bro he's gonna be like the Tom Hardy of this whole setup, and he's gonna be fighting inside of fighting and they got the things inside of their mind and then wow. you unfold upon all of it bro and and he spins the top and it fades to black and Whoa. you don't know if he's living in reality or stuck in a dream
2: <laughs> they ripped my nitro off from 11.18.99. <laughs> was fucking bullshit
1: I tried to get the ring to fold in upon itself several times, but the Bob Bush would not allow me to do so. So I said, no, I ain't coming into work unless you allow me to let the ring fold in upon itself on Terry Funk wearing the hardcore title, which is do not like the WWE hardcore title. So I said, fuck it, and I went and saw a San Francisco Giants game. Deuces, Bob Shaw and Bob Doo.
2: I can't believe we almost forgot this, but you have to look up the Samuel L. Jackson Shaft sketch that they did oh, on yeah. the 6/19/2000 of SmackDown. I think it was where Crash Holly actually has and does a little bit with Samuel L. Jackson in Shaft character, and then Crash <laughs> Holly runs off, and then Pat Patterson and Gerald Briscoe come in, and then Shaft talks some shit to him, and then he punches out Pat Patterson. <laughs> And I think they really missed an opportunity here to put the hardcore title on Shaft. But I think it's a booking conundrum, because what do you do? Nobody can defeat Shaft, so who's going to take the title off of him?
1: I remember seeing that live as it happened. I go, what (laughs) What? the fuck's this? What the (laughs) fuck is going on? Like, this is Samuel fucking Jackson. talking to fucking crash holly he's not talking to him as samuel L. jackson which would be super fucking cool right now he's talking to him as fucking chef which he's basically this is not richard Wrongtree. this is samuel jackson playing chef talking to crash holly who is playing crash holly what the fuck is going on oh my god hardcore holly is walking up to Mystic man and wants to talk about his tie i don't know what's going on <laughs>
0: So Crash would defend his hardcore championship at WrestleMania 2000 in a 13-man hardcore battle royal with a 15-minute time limit. Whoever has the belt at the end of 15 minutes is the champion, which kind of is irrelevant since there's a 24-hour rule, but whatever.
2: The cool little thing before this, on the heat before the WrestleMania, they, they do a little news conference with a bunch of referees and all like. 13 of the wrestlers sitting at cafeteria tables, breaking out the rules to them for the match coming up. It was a nice little touch.
1: Oh, yeah. Also, to this WrestleMania 2000, something that gets lost in the shuffle. They had, like, an all-day WrestleMania tribute on uh, the pay-per-view preview channel. Uh, they showed, like, old WrestleMania moments. They uh, had great interviews. I don't know where or if that exists anywhere, but I remember that being a thing. Like, it wasn't, like, just, like, the half-an-hour preview show. They had, like, a whole couple hours leading into this Wrestlemania 2000 thing and they chronicled some of the older matches and I remember like Sergeant Slaughter being on there and talking about you know oh it's really weird being a former drill sergeant and turning to be an Iraqi sympathizer when he really wasn't a drill sergeant Um, (laughs) they the preview to Wrestlemania 2000 is something that's absolutely incredible Um, hopefully I didn't invent that in my mind, like inception style, but I remember that being a thing for sure. So if anybody out there remembers that, please tweet at me. Maybe I'll read that in about a month or so.
0: I remember as a kid, always watching the, it was like a, you know, it was like the pay-per-view channel and then they'd be playing the preview and I knew my mom would never let me get it. But sometimes the the preview would run over like an extra minute or something. And you'd be like, oh my God, maybe they forgot to turn it off. Maybe I could watch this. Like maybe, maybe this is just going to be free because they messed up and then it would turn into squiggles and I'd be like, fuck.
2: Well, is that, is that not how all you guys got introduced to porn? Because that's how it (laughs) would work there would be two to three minutes of runover, and even no matter what it was it was wrestling movie porn whatever and you would get two to three minutes of free porn wrestling movies and it <laughs> shaped my childhood tremendously
0: so in this match we have taz the mean street posse apa the second biggest man in this match viscera hardcore holly kai and ty the headbangers and then the super heavyweight himself defending his title crash holly
2: I think they really missed an opportunity to do like a fancy four split screen gimmick here so we could follow all the shit. (laughs) Certain times you hear like trash can smashes and chair smashes and you're like, what the fuck's going on? It kind of adds to the atmosphere and makes it exciting. But a split screen gimmick could have been kind of cool here.
0: We touched on this match when we covered Mabel, but man, it's just crazy. Highly recommend watching it.
2: Just the good old botched to shit ending. Check that out.
0: Yeah, so Crash is supposed to take the three count as the time limit expires. You know, they do it all the time. The ref hits three, but the time ended at two. Oh, no. But they fucking mistimed it. And Hardcore Holly wins the Hardcore Championship, even though he was not supposed to.
2: It's even weirder. He doesn't hit the three count, but Crash doesn't kick out. But then Jr. You can tell doesn't know how to play. Yeah, it. yeah, it's so, so awkward. So he's saying like crash kicked out. But then they show the replay, and he clearly didn't. But it's it. But the, he didn't hit the three count. But he still gets the belt. I sound like I'm fucking it up because it's such a conundrum. It's such a big fuck up.
0: I always wonder how many times this has happened in wrestling, or like something like a Royal Rumble where like a guy accidentally—he's trying to do like a fancy, uh dramatic. I'm gonna get eliminated, right. and then I sean Michaels, my way back up into the ring how many times has that dude just fallen out and then he's
1: out of the mat jake have you ever seen this
0: have you heard of this have you seen this
1: i can't say but i was definitely terrified about it when i was gonna get my like first win at the over the top because yeah, right. <laughs> there was a couple of moments like oh i don't know if this can work <laughs> out for me <laughs> all it takes is for somebody to just bump the rope and i fall
0: right all right so next up for crash is uh 2000s backlash in a six-man hardcore title match it's crash the Hardy's, saturn taz and hardcore and the stage setup for this is is fucking crazy it's like these big moving scythe (laughs) things (laughs) and it will lead to a holy shit chant when matt hardy and crash climb up on one of them it's it's a fucking crazy spot
2: the the one that got me is where uh, Saturn throws Crash onto the the set, onto the metal bars, and he breaks shit. Like, he yeah. breaks part of the set. It was like, oh, God.
0: Crash would eventually pin Taz for the win, and then he gets out of there, and he does this really cool, like, crawling on the ground cell back to the locker room, and I thought it was a nice touch. He was
2: so good at that stuff, man.
0: Crash would then be part of 2000's Insurrection from london england and crash had been going around england challenging englishmen to fight for the title uh later that night he was on commentary on the pay-per-view when an englishman finally did step up and fight him the british bulldog and a power slam later crash lost his title
2: and i just like to say i think that blue jeans and no shirt british bulldog is highly underrated (laughs) i like to liken Blue Jeans and No Shirt British Bulldog to American Badass Undertaker, and I don't think he's getting the proper credit he does there.
1: Please do not even bring up biker taker in the presence of No Shirt, Blue Jeans, Black Doc Martin boots. British Bulldog, it is appropriately uh, placed. Also, too, way to make up for the fact that Shawn Michaels beat British Bulldog for the European title in the UK. You know what? We'll have you beat Crash Holly for the hardcore title. That's that should make up for fucking everything. <laughs>
0: Between hardcore matches in spring of 2000, Crash would get involved in the light heavyweight title scene as well as qualify for 2000's King of the Ring. At the pay-per-view, he took on Shield 1.0's Bull Buchanan. Crash hits Bull with a sneaky pin and roll up for the win. Then he'd head on to face Kurt Angle in the semifinals.
1: I remember this happening, You know, Crash having some steam behind him. I think this was kind of like a test to see if okay, well, maybe we can kind of break Crash away from the hardcore scene. You know, maybe he can be the light heavyweight guy, but also, too, maybe like maybe we can put him in the mix for like an IC or or something. Maybe he's a mid-card guy that we can kind of... And then maybe if something happens, maybe we can tell a compelling story with him in a main event picture for a SmackDown, maybe not a pay-per-view because, you know, just the landscape's a little bit different at this moment in time, but maybe this is a guy that can be kind of in the mix uh not just a, a comedy thing in the middle of this hardcore division and something that's kind of bolstering it up i mean he's he's very entertaining in this maybe we put him over here against some serious wrestlers and see if it jives see if he can get to that next level and throughout
0: the pay-per-view they kept like pushing him as like the cinderella story and I, man i just i wish they would have pulled the trigger
2: the opening to the bull buchanan match is cool how they try to establish this because you got Bull Buchanan just being like, yeah, this little twerp. And he throws him out of the ring a couple of times. But Crash takes zero seconds to kind of recover. He immediately jumps in the ring and starts forearming the shit out of Bull Buchanan. Bull throws him out of the ring, but Crash keeps coming back and back. It's it's simple, but it's a real well-established way of just showing that Crash ain't backing down. He's got a heart that weighs more than 400 pounds. God damn it.
0: In the semifinals, Crash would lose to Kurt Angle. It's a pretty good match under four minutes. Kurt it's hits him. It's real some- good, man kurt hits him with a angle slam good game kurt goes on to win the king of the ring which you know it's fucking kurt angle he deserves it but uh this could have made crash holly for like several years i think
2: there's a near fall where crash hits a missile drop kick on angle and it's so good and close and dramatic that the cr- you can feel the crowd wanting crash to win like when when he kicks out they're like oh shit man and just so everybody knows If Crash would have won, we would have had a Crash Holly versus Rikishi, King of the Ring finals. Also, later in that King of the Ring, uh, Pat Patterson and Gerald Briscoe have an evening gown match. And at this point, I I think Pat Patterson has the hardcore belt yet again. Don't shit on me for not remembering who's holding that damn belt. But then Crash Holly comes in and pins one of them. I don't fucking remember. And Crash, after one win over Bo Buchanan... And then a real good quick match over Kurt Angle where he shows out. He comes in and reclaims his hardcore match. Kurt Angle won King of the Ring, but Crash really is kind of the MVP of this pay-per-view. And he, they give him every opportunity to shine. And he looks fucking fantastic.
0: Next up would be 2000's Unforgiven, where Crash would be in the Hardcore Open Invitational. With a 10 minute time limit, it's kind of like the WrestleMania match. Uh, We got Al Snow, Crash Test, Saturn, Funaki, and champion Steve Blackman.
2: Yeah, I forgot how much Blackman was kind of a unsung, hardcore, badass champ back then.
0: Crash does win the belt, but then he gets a trash can right to the face by Saturn and loses it seconds later. Blackman gets a win with a minute left and holds on to be the champion when the time limit expires.
2: And it's that great booking where there's eight guys all trying to pin him and beat him up at once. But of course, we can't come together.
0: Then on Raw, November 13th, 2000, Crash Holly got a shot at the world's title. He said he could beat Kurt Angle with one arm behind his back, which is how he comes out. But it was a ruse and he used two hands. But both hands aren't enough to beat Kurt. He loses to the ankle lock. Then afterwards Kurt attacks Crash, which brings out Hardcore, Holly, which brings out Edge and Christian, which brings out Limp Biscuit Taker, to clear out the ring. You know what, after Jake defended Limp Biscuit so much, I went back and put a couple songs on my playlist. <laughs>
1: Bro, 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 bro. take a look around. Do you want to get fucking hyped? Like, I know that's from the soundtrack of Mission Impossible 2, which is the lesser of the Mission Impossibles, but goddamn, take a look around. That's a banger and a fucking half, man. And fuck you for anybody that lived during that era and didn't have a red Yankees cap. Fuck you for everything. You did. It's in in your closet right now with your old shot-putting shoes right now. I promise you.
2: I had a red Yankees hat, but I wore it forward. No.
0: What are you, a dad? <laughs> In late 2000, the Holly family would get another cousin, Molly Holly.
2: Going back and rewatching stuff, I didn't. This was kind of when I wasn't watching too much, or I guess maybe remembering too much. And Molly was. She was a lot better than I remembered or thought she was regarded. I enjoyed a lot of her shit. She was funny and pretty good worker.
1: Just okay, Michael Joseph Loving. (laughs) Fuck you. You should worship the fucking ground (laughs) that woman walks on. I don't know if we're going to be under the monarchy system here in America at some point in time, (laughs) but if we ever fucking do, we could only be so fucking lucky to have Molly Holly be our fucking queen of America. Like, this woman... This woman was fighting for the opportunity for women to just be treated as fucking athletes and legitimate professional wrestlers. She was fighting for that in the midst of putting matches, bikini contests, women having matches in the highest of stiletto heels, and this woman was fighting... For for what all of the women have today, or at least uh, what they are, are still fighting for, they should. They, let's say they have the journey is not done. I should say, but uh, she was fighting for it in the most difficult of times. And any time that there was an opportunity for her to get caught up in the hokiness, she was for it. She was about it. Go ahead, shave my head. Go ahead and make fun of the granny panties. But guess what? If you give me eight minutes on Sunday night heat with Victoria. (laughs) I will fucking crush it and be the best match on the fucking show because I am fucking Molly fucking holly and she will not say that because she is a humble person and she doesn't swear but fuck it, <laughs> i'll say it for her i i will be her luther to her obama okay <laughs> i am what she wants to fucking say what is inside of her what she is repressing i will be that i will be her her anger translator
0: so at a survivor series that year Trish, Albert, and Test, which was TNA, uh, would take on Crash with Molly and Steve Blackman. Let's see, Holly ends up getting the win when she puts Trish away with a sunset flip. At Rebellion in England, Crash would face William Regal for the WWF European Championship. And this is, I mean, Crash is a great worker, and then you have William Regal. This is a really fun, (laughs) this is a good match.
2: It really is. Regal being his beautifully dickish self, In the one place he should be a face, he's like, nah, fuck that. I'm still going to get a (laughs) (laughs) I'm still nah, They hate me everywhere. That's a heel. That's a fucking heel.
0: Regal pins Crash, but Crash's foot was on the rope. And in the confusion, we get a restart. Molly Holly missile drop kicks Regal. Crash covers Regal and becomes the European champion. So another belt here for Crash Holly, man.
1: Boom. Oh, yeah. Also, too, back to put over Molly Holly if I'm not fucking done yet. Um, She was in WCW doing missile drop kicks barefoot because wow. she was Miss Madness. She had, she had an evening gown on. She had to take the fucking heels off, climb the top rope, and missile drop kick in motherfuckers bare fucking foot in a fucking evening gown. Give that woman the fucking <laughs> crown she deserves to be our fucking queen of professional wrestling
0: crash would lose the belt just two days later back to regal but man he's he's picked he's picked up some gold here
2: around this time also he was kind of out of the hardcore scene but he was still hitting uh title wins on house shows they were trading him back doing kind of the three title changes per house show match but crash was still in the mix there
1: well because he was the guy you know it's one of those things that he was so identified with that and Anytime you pull him away from that it's it's almost like golden handcuffs in a sense, that he he was the guy that made that hardcore title as successful as it was and people didn't recognize it. They're like, Oh, this hardcore title thing's really getting over. Oh, oh well Crash is doing good. Let's try and break him off and put him in the mix of the European title or light heavyweight and let's get to do some things over here. And then all of a sudden you start realizing like, huh. These hardcore matches aren't as good as they used to be. What's what's going on here? Uh, I, I don't know. Well, Remember when we did this thing with Crash? Let's get let's throw Crash back in. Hey, the Groot again. All I right. Right, Let's put Crash back into what we had before. Like, huh, these hardcore matches aren't <laughs> as good as they were before. Right, but they're always, they're always like, what is wrong with the hardcore title? What, what do we need to do to update it? Let's change the rules. Maybe that's what we, we need to change the rules. No, the thing that made it work was Crash Holly. Yeah. And they never saw it as that and be like, oh, Crash can make anything work. Let's put him in a different spot. They're always like, we need him to make this hardcore thing work.
0: Crash's kind of last big swing here is on March 18th, 2001 on an episode of Heat when he beat Dean Malenko for the Light Heavyweight Championship.
2: And Crash talks about in the shoot interview about how all the people that he worked with in the ring kind of picking up the small little details and the nuances that Dean taught him the most in in regards to that, that he just really gave him all those little small parts that added up into a big one. And also it needs to be said that Dean and Crash had a hardcore title battle in a bouncy house. So there's that.
0: <laughs> Crash would have some successful defenses against Funaki and Grandmaster Sekse before dropping it to the debuting Jerry Lynn, April 29th on Heat.
2: And this was heel Jerry Lynn which is just fucking weird to see. I'm just heel Jerry Lynn just that doesn't make sense to me. I don't get that.
1: Oh, you should see his uh very persnickety interview he did one time, I believe, on a Sunday night heat, uh, when talking to J.R. Like he was very he was very salty about his time there. And and rightfully so, like him and Rob Van Dam have a killer match on Sunday Night Heat and they chop it all the fuck up. Yeah. Like it is it is weird. Jerry's just one of those guys, it's just like he's so good and incredible, and I don't know if anybody really knew how to even use him. Even Paul and ECW, there was always those starts and stops. With Jerry Lynn, and then finally, like, ah, let's throw the belt on him. Mm, let's back off away from it. Ah, let's do this. Or, like, there's even before they even got to that, they weren't exactly sure what to do with him. But it, you'll never find a better guy, a nicer man. I've wrestled the man twice. He still remembers me, he still talks to me as a contemporary. Uh, um,
2: yeah, I think the weirdest thing about uh, Jerry Lynn winning the light heavyweight title from Crash for Me is that he won by a roll up and he pulled the tights. Fucking Jerry Lynn pulling the tights.
0: So at this point, WWF had bought up WCW and the roster was just overloaded, and Crash would kind of start getting lost in the shuffle. Spring of 01, the Holly Cousins had a feud with uh, the Dutleys, with Molly and Spike having a little thing going on. Then came WWF splitting into like the two brands, Raw and SmackDown crash was assigned to the raw roster and just not much going for him it was nothing but like sunday night heats and jacked and Crash said that like you know i guess it's kind of you know the b programs but he said it was so much more fun because at raw you know you have all the politics all the cutthroatness but sunday night heat you get you just show up and you wrestle and it's fun and there's catering and it's like all right this is this is good
2: yeah, one of the cool things around this time to check out is, uh, there's a Crash Holly Brock Lesnar raw dark match back before Brock was Brock. Where if you want to see Brock coming out to some god awful generic entrance music and Crash stomping on Brock's hands and Brock selling it like a little schoolgirl, uh, there's some good shit in it. The, the spot where the little guy's on the big guy and he's trying to pin him and he basically bench presses him off of it, the Brock Crash Holly match. Gets my vote for the best spot of that ever. Crash goes flying into the air.
0: Then uh, Crash would jump ship over to SmackDown in September, and still not a lot of storylines. Crash mostly works SmackDown house shows while getting all of his TV time on Velocity. In 2003, after being sightlined for four months with a cyst on his tailbone, which sounds terrible, Crash would come back where he would team up with Matt Hardy and Shannon Moore in the Mattitude Follower Stable.
2: Or, as Crash said, we should have been called Team Icicle because we had no heat.
1: Well, they were doing the Matt Hardy, like I think he was doing the light heavyweight thing and the idea of like trying to get down to weight so surround him with light heavyweight guys to make them look smaller, I guess. Or make him look bigger. Uh, Basically the reverse of the Taz. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Crash said they were the only faction to never have a six-man tag match ever. It was always singles and tags, but they never had a true six-man tag match.
0: So Crash was probably never going to be in the main event with Rockin' Austin, but for a minute there, he had definitely earned his spot. He was pretty over at times, but after the merger, he seemed to just get straight forgotten about, and that led to, understandably, Crash feeling pretty bad, pretty angry, and complaining a lot. And he was so vocal that WWF thought it would be best to just let him go. And on June 30th, 2003, Lockwood was future-endeavored by the WWE.
2: Right before this, he, he got a couple quick more hardcore title wins on TV that brought him up to his 22 that everyone knows.
0: 2003 is pretty rough time to get released back into the wild. You know, a lot of the big indies we think about today are just still babies at this point. NWA was on life support, so he did kind of NWA's last hell mary TNA, which uh Crash would sign to July of 2003.
1: That's when they were doing the weekly pay per views, and I think he was even like teaming with Shark Boy at the time, and it was an interesting thing. And I, think I mean, it was just one of those things where like, oh, okay, well he's here now, and yeah, that's what NWATNA is. Basically, former WWE guys come in and do this, and they haven't really gotten an identity yet. It's still like, hey, I'm Jeff Jarrett. I'm Jerry Jarrett. We got a promotion now, <laughs> and where are we going to run? The Nashville Fairgrounds, because every time that you're looking for a national TV deal, you start running shows in the Nashville Fairgrounds. <laughs> so that's just kind of how it was and still was up until like maybe like three or four years ago. So... It's not like John Zandig is gonna pay a hefty fee for <laughs> Crash Holly, and then at the same time too, like Crash is kind of seen as a gimmicky thing. So Ring of Honor doesn't want him. All right. Um, there's really not those super indie companies. Like imagine a Crash Holly getting released, and there's a AAW Black Label Pro GCW Fest Wrestling Northeast Wrestling. Gosh, I'm, I'm gonna I'm leaving out so many different promotions right now just because I haven't seen their names in months. Because we're in the middle of a fucking <laughs> pandemic. Um, on, wrestling right. Revolver, all different companies that could have just utilized. like Crash could have been wrestling every single weekend, and that's hell. The guys that just got released a few months ago, they could be wrestling every weekend. But I've done forgot their names, <laughs> so yeah, it's just 2003 couldn't be any worse time. Also, that's when a lot of crop of younger guys are coming in. Like you had CM Punk around, Chris Hero, Kolchaban, all just all these guys are out there doing their thing. Christopher Daniels is out there, Brian Danielson's out there, and like those guys are going to command less money than Crash. The idea and concept of someone like a Crash coming in and getting people to come out to an indie show—you were probably still, I don't know, seven years away from that. Absolute fucking worst time to be let go.
0: Bringing up CZW is an interesting thing, too, because just the way I see Crash Holly, he is one of the most famous, iconic, hardcore champions of all time. I mean, he's one of the first people I think about when I think of the hardcore title in WWF, but I don't really think of him as like a hardcore wrestler. Is that weird? Not the same way as like a Necro Butcher or or a Sick Nick. I
2: mean, that's the whole joke, right? That's that's the joke.
0: Yeah, I knew that's why, like, Hardcore Holly was doing it. He would called himself Hardcore and then never did, like, a thumbtack spot ever. I
1: don't know, walking up to Vince McMahon and calling the F-word <laughs> that's is pretty, kind hardcore. pretty hardcore. That's I pretty mean, hardcore, man. That's pretty hardcore on both ends of the spectrum, not just the freelancer boss, but also, too, having that much hate in your heart. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, uh, it it is the different aspect of it. It's, like, when it comes to the Hardcore title, it is... It's a character thing, but at the same time, too, like, if... The hardcore title was Blood and Guts. I mean, you're having debates about Al Snow having an action figure with a female <laughs> decapitated head. Like those are, those are the conversations. Imagine, imagine if the hardcore title is Blood and Guts, yeah. like ECW stuff, and they're putting that on Raw. Yeah. Like imagine the conversations they're gonna have then. But the hardcore title becomes more of this jokey, character-driven thing, farce of a hardcore thing. And that's what makes it successful where like you do the blood and guts thing and then you present that, that shit probably ends immediately. And also, too, it's like you're trying to be edgy with it and you can't be edgy with it. So if you can't be edgy, you know, the next thing is to be more of an inside joke, more of what they did.
0: Using his TNA gimmick Mad Mikey on November 1st, 2003. He'd have his final match ever when he and Rory Fox defeated Quentin Lee and the Human Time Bomb with Ricky the Dragon Steamboat as special guest referee in a match for the Heartland Wrestling Association.
1: Rory Fox still wrestles, still lives in Iowa, just saw him mere days ago. Oh, nice.
2: Anybody listening right now, go on YouTube and look up the Mad Mikey uh, intro package, and it's the most old-school WWF vignette put together. Silly, goofy, like, in character. Him getting mad at the smallest little things. It- it's so good and so beautiful. It's Crash at a different character, but he's still nailing the fuck out of it. it- it's a beautiful thing.
0: All right, and then time's turn dark for Crash. You know, he's obviously in a big downswing in his career. He went from presumably making great money, to an indie scene that was struggling at the time. To make things worse, his wife wanted a divorce, and this put Crash in such a dark place that he didn't see a way out. And on November 6, 2003, while staying at Stevie Richards' house, Crash seemingly committed suicide by ODing on a combination of pills and alcohol, and Crash was only 32. Probably a good place to uh, plug the suicide hotline. uh, 1-800-273-8255. You know, I've been there and just you got to get out of that headspace, man. There's always hope. You can always start a podcast with a guy that fights tents. There you go. Crash isn't in the Hall of Fame, but like clearly he should be right. Like he's such a huge part of the Attitude Era. He won the tag titles, the European title, light heavyweight title, and just the face of the hardcore division for several years. What do you guys think about putting him in the Hall of Fame?
2: I think so, because doing my research for all this and I try to go down to YouTube comments all the time when I'm watching videos just to get fans reactions or impressions or sometimes there's good little stories that I missed to throw in here but just so many people talking about the impression that Crash left on them of just how much fun they had watching that and how much they'll never forget all the silly you know airport or or arcade hardcore matches and silliness I mean it it clearly left a huge impression on wrestling fans who grew up in that time it's like movies, man. Drama gets rewarded so much, but comedy sometimes just kind of pushed to the side and not given the respect. And I think Crash deserves all that fucking respect because he was funny as hell and he knew how to make that hardcore title gimmick what it should have been. It should have been a goofy, fun thing where it's just, there isn't that much respect on the belt, but that's the joke. And it's, it's fun as fuck. And sometimes things just need to be fun as fuck.
1: I one thousand percent agree. He he should definitely be in the WWE Hall of Fame, although I know how WWE gets a little squirrely about guys that OD'd or have auspicious ends of their life, but I I feel like there's enough time that you should put him in because he was a he was a large part of the Attitude Era that Artcore Division doesn't exist without him and what he did. And that's a lot of what people remember from the Attitude Era. And I remember before we started recording. You know, we were talking about, like, basically what we're discussing is a three-year run, but at the same time, too, a three-year run that's on TV every single week in segments that are some of the highlights of the entire program. And there are guys in there right now that didn't have a three-year run as good as Crash did. Now, there's guys that were there for eight years, and they had the ups and downs, and they came back, and injuries, and But, like, for a solid three years, jam-packed, I mean... It's got to rank right up there. They're definitely top 10 for the Attitude Era. Like, guys that had a solid three-year run like that when wrestling was as popular as it was. And him being such a highlight. Um, I, th- I think it'd be something that's, I'd say, long overdue. Whatever they decide to do it, it, he's definitely a guy that's lost in the shuffle. But he definitely belongs to be in the WWE Hall of Fame, hands down. I don't know who's going to start that campaign. Or that that discussion, but it's a discussion that needs to be had at some point in time. All
0: right, final thoughts on Crash Holly.
1: So one of the things in our notes we 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 didn't get discussed, but that's okay. I'll I'll put it in here because um, it's the the little bit that I know about Crash. Um, he actually had a wrestling school in Salisbury, North Carolina, in 2002. So he was still employed with WWE while he had this wrestling school in Salisbury, and I actually met a guy who went to his wrestling school because he ended up going to our wrestling school like a couple years later. And he finally told me one day after like a few weeks, he goes, Hey man, I was kind of nervous about saying this. I used to go to crash Holly school. And I go, Oh, you did. How, how was it? He goes, man, not good. This kid was like very much a super fan. And while he was training to be a pro wrestler, he bought front row tickets to be at a WWE show. And of course crash was on the show and when Crash came out, he goes, Hey, there's my trainer, and he waved to him and like said hi to him while this kid was in the front row. Next day at wrestling school, Crash beat the ever living shit out oh, of man. him. Cause he's like, Are you a mark or are you a or are you a wrestler? You could say that's a dickish thing. You could say that's a bitter thing, and you wouldn't be wrong. <laughs> but at the same time too, let me tell you about my experience with that kid. I had an opportunity to do a ring rental and get somebody to come along and wrestle with me, and he'd gotten to the point that he could probably have a nice little match. Uh, so I was like, hey, man, I've got an opportunity for you to come wrestle with me. we got to set up and tear, tear down the ring, so that kind of sucks, but we're, we're getting some money to do it. It's not a lot of money, but you get to wrestle, and you know we get to do it, and this will be one of your first matches, and you're going to have it with me. It'll be safe. You'll be good. I just need somebody to come along with me and do this ring rental. And he's like, oh, I'm sorry, man, but I got plans to go to an autograph signing with Shawn Michaels. <laughs> and that's when all of a sudden, like, I saw what Crash yeah. saw. And I was like, <laughs> I, I I, did not go across the line that Crash <laughs> caught. But he definitely got an earful, and I never saw the kid again. <laughs> Damn. But here's the thing, though. A couple years ago, if I really wanted to meet Shawn Michaels, could have met Shawn Michaels because I'm in the professional wrestling business. Yeah. And right, right. Yeah. Someone like Crash, who was undersized for as long as he was, put everything into it. Seeing somebody giving less than was just completely and utterly unacceptable. And being the type of guy that I am, I understand that. I probably need to handle my emotions a little bit better, and Crash probably needed to handle his emotions a little bit better. But God damn it, you could say that that's anger and bitterness, but I refer to that as passion. And that's what Crash had, and that's what you saw every single week that you saw him on TV, was passion and happy to just be there and doing your thing, because you realize that you're not supposed to. And that whole thing earlier of guys thinking they're entitled to it, that whole rant that I went on earlier, that was the anti of Crash, is he appreciated every opportunity that he had and, and grabbed every opportunity he possibly could to be a performer, to entertain the people, in professional wrestling because he loved professional wrestling and that's what I think about with Crash
0: I always had like a soft spot for Crash I just always I was drawn to him for some reason he's like low-key one of the great comedy wrestlers I think I mean so many fun funny memorable things he enjoyed comedy wrestling I mean he was like a leprechaun before he got the WWF so he's always down to do some silly gimmicks some some fun spots And man, he was good. Like he, he had a style that was like 20 years ahead of its time. Because if you look at some of his early stuff, just the flipping hurricanrana he did and like some of the crazy dives he did, he didn't get to show any of that off in WWF. If he could have like just held out or, you know, maybe born a decade later, if Ring of Honor or PWG got a hold of him, he could have done like some really cool shit and he wanted to make pro wrestling better like he 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 described himself as like a defensive wrestler like he was there to like make other people's moves look good and you know he always wanted to make sure the other guy got over not just him and i think that's a you know that's a positive mindset for pro wrestling the hardcore stuff is such a fun cool legacy to leave behind and man i don't know he was a highlight of almost every show he was on. And you know, I hope he'll get put in the hall of fame one day. He deserves to be remembered and fuck man, gone way too young, way too soon, but start bringing up crash Holly a little more. Hardcore comedy. He was just, he was really great.
2: Um, He immediately endeared me in the shoot interviews when he talked about watching all Japan pro wrestling tapes and learning selling from Masawa, Kabashi and Kawada. I'm a fucking mark for that. And I was immediately like, all right, this Crash guy, he he puts in the work. He uh, learns from the good ones. So he knows what he's doing out there. Like Nick said, it, what really got to me with Crash was that he, as he said, he didn't need to get his shit in, which which Jake was, I'm sure, in his rant about stuff about everybody needing to get their shit in because it's all about them. Crash was all about the angle, all about his opponent, all about getting over what needed to get over. If it was him, he did get himself over. But if it wasn't, he got the thing over that was most important. And I think that is rare as fuck. Check out him in his Funaki matches because that was his favorite opponent. I thought that was funny as hell. And just, they work really well together. And you see it, it makes sense. More to Crash's selflessness, he he jobbed cleanly to China and Jackie, which for a wrestler back then, during that day, to job to two women back then is pretty much unheard of. But he knew that that was his gimmick, because like, oh God, I'm Crash. What? I'm, I'm a 400-pound super heavyweight. This can't happen to me. How can I get beat by a woman? Was this cousin? And the thing that got to me most about Crash was just him talking about just the simplicity of just like, you know, if you if you just had a hard day. And you need to watch something silly and just point at a guy and go, hey, that guy was a fucking idiot. And you just need to laugh at him. He just wanted you to to laugh at him. That's simply all he did. Because entertainment is so underrated just to give somebody some relief for the fucked up thing that is life. And uh, this quote hit me the most because I know Nick and Jake and me, it just hits them so hard. Or this, this sums up so much. It's like, I don't need to look strong. I'll be Comedy Central. Who doesn't like to laugh? And I'm pretty sure that's the entire reason why Jake and Nick do stand-up comedy and Jake is so fucking great at comedy wrestling and everything. It's just, you know, at the end of the day, fucking laughter is amazing. Laughter is just when it hits you right, it can seriously change your entire viewpoint
0: and your mood for the day. And Crash was so fucking good at that, man. All right, that is Crash Holly's Tim Bell Pod episode one of year three. We're just still doing it, still chugging along. You had so much joy in that still doing <laughs> Thank you for listening. Thanks to everyone supporting us over on Patreon.com slash Pod. Big shout out to Jesse Phillips for being a new Patreon subscriber. Thank you, Jesse. Also, thank,
1: th- thank you so much, Jesse Phillips. Uh, sorry I did not have my phone in here to give you a thank you. Uh big thank you to all of our regular listeners. Big Bob, Miles Kane, DJ Shadow Penguin. All all Jeff, of the regulars Ryan, that, that tune in, a um, bunch of other people, uh, I'm sorry that I have neglected all of you, but uh, I appreciate all of you, and sorry I'm not on social media as much anymore, but uh, hopefully I will rectify that situation here in the next couple of weeks. I'm, I'm feeling better. I actually, for the second night in a row, I was able to sleep in my bed for an entire night for the first time in about two months, so... Where have you been sleeping? A tent. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, basically, my couch with the TV on. Oh, because that's the- I know that. Yeah. Because the problem is when I'm in my bedroom alone with the lights off, that means I am alone with my thoughts and I don't want to be there. So uh, at least with the TV TV on, my brain can shut off enough and I can at least get some sort of rest to then work 12 hours out of a fucking day at high spots. (laughs) So, yeah, these Sunday auctions are the worst uh, because I have to work on Saturday and I get no days off. But at least I know my boss has the same issue as well. So between me and Michael Bikikio, we have – We haven't had any days off. I know Michael's wife is very much annoyed. I'm getting very much annoyed, but uh, uh, the money that we make on them via the fans' support means absolute world to us, and we're starting to bring employees back. So thank you to everyone who's jumped on the the Facebook virtual gimmick tables that we do every Thursday and Saturday and sometimes Sunday when we allow it because you guys are allowing employees to come back, and we just hired two new people. So Nice. We have given people that were going to be unemployed coming into this pandemic, we have given them jobs, and that's all because of fan support and because of the fan support that you've given, Ten Bell Pod. You have obligated me to come on here and talk on a microphone when I'm going through a mental break. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, uh, I don't have a Patreon for How Did This Get Booked, so I hit pause on that one while I get better. So, But this one, I feel obligated to you, the Patreon subscribers. So if you guys want to keep pushing me to the brink <laughs> every, every time, keep giving to the Patreon. I, I think Nick and Micah will probably do some bonus stuff, but it's going to be a little bit before I do some bonus stuff on there. But maybe I'll dig up some older matches that I feel happy with or I've learned to be happy with over the years.
2: And I just like to think, Jake, that I'm keeping the doors open by the $15 I spent on my Mountie autograph that I did on the virtual gimmick
1: table. <laughs> did you buy something? You also got a George South book. I so got a George South mistaken.
0: book, too. Nick,
1: what have okay. you bought?
0: I, I bought some high spot stuff. I got a Heenan autograph. I got a Lodi autograph. Lodi. <laughs> I got a, uh, a, a
1: solely to make me mad, solely to make me mad, by the way. It's
0: was like, if I order this, Jake's going to have to pull it and he's going to be grumpy about it. <laughs> But all right, let's yeah. wrap this up. Uh I don't know. Uh support high spots, fight the patriarchy.
1: Boom. <laughs>
2: Uh, this is Jimmy James, P.P. Cornette here, and I know you're too busy buying AEW shirts for your mom and your grandma and everybody because you gotta get everybody in the family watching the AEW to get the ratings up to beat NXT, but if you could just go to Patreon and give them Tim Bell Pod Boys some money, I know they'd appreciate it because they actually do real moves and they know how to work a match unlike these, these spot monkeys, so quit buying the AEW shirts and give Tim Bell Pod some money. Wendy's.